God, thank you again for this morning, and I thank you for time that we get to celebrate. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can trust in it. God, that it's not just some ancient text that we've um, that we've kept together for so long so that we can have uh, good words to live by, but instead they are truth, the truth. And you reminded us, as we talked about on Wednesday, that um, that Christ is the truth. There is no other way apart from him. God, that he is life. And that apart from him we have no life. And so God, help us this morning as we study your scripture to see it as your truth. God, for those who are walking in obedience to you, God, help us to be um, reminded this morning through your Holy Spirit of what you desire for us and how to live not for ourselves, but for you and for your kingdom. And God, for those asking questions or seeking you this morning who may have never confessed you, God, who have never um, asked Christ to be Lord of their life, but are still Lord of their own life, God, use your word this morning to teach us, to point us to you, to point us to how great you are, how wonderful you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever tried to uh, prove yourself to someone? Maybe you were trying to prove yourself to a new employer. Maybe you got a new job, and you had to prove that what you wrote on the resume, you're actually capable of doing. And you don't want to be found out necessarily, but you've got to prove yourself. You've got to prove that what you wrote on your resume, um, you're actually capable of doing. When I was a sophomore in high school, um, I got to be a part of a thing called uh, Vocational Industrial Clubs of America, VICA. Have you, have you heard of it? Maybe I grew up in Texas. VICA, Vocational Industrial Clubs of America, similar to like an FFA or a 4-H, but it was all about uh, engineering type things and computer type things and technical type things. Anyways, uh, I got asked to be a part of this, to be a part of the uh, computer application applications team. And the team consisted of one member, and that one member was me. And my coach was my electronics teacher in high school who had no idea about anything in life other than how to convince um, young men how to uh, use the uh, windshield wiper fluid reservoir in their truck as a place to store beer. And that was his whole goal in class, I think, was to convince us on how to do that, how to uh, make a straw from the, uh, from the hood into the, uh, into the, uh, inside the, uh, the vehicle so that you could have that. Some of you are like taking notes on the notes page. Like, how can I do that? This is a good, I, this is a good idea. Anyway, so Vocational Industrial Clubs of America. Uh, there was no formal training uh, in class other than, hey, we think you're good at this and you could really do, you could really do well. And so I got on the bus to go to Midland College to, uh, to take part in the competition. And I did well, by the way. It was a state competition, and I did really well. I ended up getting second place in the whole competition. And I'm bragging about myself on purpose because I'm, that's how great I am. I got second place at this competition, and I actually did not answer any of the questions correctly. Thankfully, there were only two competitors, so, uh, so, so I got second place and I got a medal. Technically, I got last place also, but I never answered a single cr- question correct. When I showed up to the event, uh, to the competition, they asked me where my laptop was. I had no idea even what a laptop was. I'd only seen things on TV or in magazines. Like, we don't have a laptop. Well, did you bring your own computer? No. Was I supposed to? Yeah. Okay. No, I didn't. Sit down. We'll use this computer. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. Sit down. They say, okay, do this. And, and here's how well I know, here's how much I knew about um, the particular thing that they asked me to do. I still cannot remember what they asked me to do because when they said it, it was a foreign language to me. Do this and this and this and this. You betcha. You betcha I'll do that to, my, to the best of my ability. I wrote my name on the thing or typed my name on the computer, and that's what I submitted. I have no idea why they gave me the second place medal. I guess they felt sorry for me. They knew my teacher maybe. I have no idea. 
but I ended up getting second place. I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to show how great I knew things, but reality was I knew nothing, absolutely nothing, yet I was still rewarded for it. When I get down from the stage every Sunday morning, I think the same thing. I know nothing, and yet you still reward me for it. You still reward me for it. Here's the thing. We live in a society and a culture where we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. We get into, I'm thinking about groups of men. We get in a, a circle of a group of men and we're trying to prove who's the best at whatever the, the scenario is. So I can, I can shoot the bow better than you can. I can fire the gun better than you can. I can play the game better than you can. And if you think you can top me, I'll show you. I've done more. I've, I've experienced more. I've done better than anyone else. We're always constantly trying to prove ourselves. Ladies, from, a, from a, just an observer a standpoint, and I don't want to make you too mad, but you're always trying to prove yourself too. How well you dress, how great your makeup is, how well your hair is, uh, how many times you've dieted or not dieted. I mean, all these types of things. We're constantly trying to prove who we want to be, trying to convince people, hey, I want you to see me who I think you should see me as. I want to prove to you that this is who I'm saying I am, I know what reality is, but I'm going to try and prove myself to convince you this is who I actually, I actually am. It's an epidemic. It causes anxiety. It causes stress. It causes gray hair. It causes hair to fall out. It causes a weight to be gained. It causes weight to be lost. We const- we're constantly battling through. This is who I want to be, and I'm striving to be this, and so I'm going to prove this to the rest of the world that this is who I am. But most of the world can see you for who you truly who you truly are. We spend most of our time trying to convince people of one thing when reality behind closed doors we're actually something something else. And it's not a worthy life to live for, to strive for, convincing others of who you want them to think that you are, proving that Oh yeah, I know computer applications. Sure, I'll, I'll join the event. I know enough about it. I can push the on button. Show me, send me to the competition. Spend money on me. I'll go and I'll gladly, I'll gladly um, take part in this competition and prove to others who I am. And in doing so, ultimately what I do is prove who I am not. We get to this chapter 6 and we see in the meat of the Sermon on the Mount, we see this uh, really coming together that Christ is begging or pleading with the listeners, stop being a hypocrite. Stop trying to prove one thing and live in a different way. Be genuine. Be the same. Be constant all the time. I'm sure some of you desire for that. I mean, to see your long-lost friends from 20 years ago, and maybe you were righteous back then and holy back then and pure back then, and then 20 years later they see you and they say something like, you have not changed a bit. Instead of the inevitable, man, you've lost your hair. Man, you've gotten fat. I, I came home from college, uh, and uh, one of my uh, friends uh, who had a guy that worked for him, he barely spoke any English, and his words to me were, man, you got fat. I'm like, I didn't even know you could speak English. You know, I mean, quit making fun of my weight gain. I appreciate that. We, we live in this world where we're constantly trying to prove something. 
And when we talk about religious things, and you're here this morning, so that's what we're going to talk about. When you talk about religious things, we're constantly trying to prove to others how righteous we are, or how pure we are, or how holy we are. We spend the majority of our time speaking about us instead of speaking about the one who is actually holy, who is actually righteous, who is actually pure. We spend a lot of time trying to prove our own identity when I wonder if it would be better for us if we'd spend the majority of our time proving the identity of Christ, His righteousness, His holiness, His purity. Proving that instead of trying to prove to others who you are. Matthew chapter 6, last week we talked about giving and how it's not about us. We get to the, to the second part. Remember in Jewish world, uh, to prove your, uh, your religious piety, or to pr- prove that you're a great religious person, you would give, you would pray, you would fast. And doing those three things, you're proving to others that you are a religious person. And today we, we label it in other ways. If you go to church on Sunday, if you go Sunday night, if you go Wednesday, if you, if you read your Bible, if you pray, if you do these things, I mean, we're proving that we're a religious person. If you give, you're proving that you're a religious person. Who are you proving it to? We're not sure. So Christ begins to point out, hey, we don't want you in this new kingdom that I'm establishing, in this kingdom of righteousness that I'm putting together, in this kingdom where I am the king and I am Lord over it, You have to be different. So we're not going to prove your righteousness through works. We're not going to prove how holy you are by how well you separate yourself. We're not going to prove how great you are by how many miracles you perform. But instead, we're going to let all your righteousness and all your greatness and all your purity and all your holiness be upon the King. Be upon Jesus. And then you represent Him. And so in that, in that kingdom living, Christ preaches this sermon. Hey, how do you walk as someone who belongs to me? How do you walk as somebody who's confessed Christ as Lord? How do you walk a part of a a kingdom separated from the rest of the world? How do you pray? How do you give? How do you fast? In those those matters, Christ points it out and and he gives us clarity. We're going to take this prayer section and we're going to um, divide it up in two. We're going to preach some of it this morning and then we're going to preach the rest of it next week because I know some of you are really hungry. Verse 5 says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Here we go again with the hypocrites. People trying to prove something. People who have put on a mask to act. People who get, get, um, they get on stage to perform, to show their, um, their acting deeds. They, they, they want to prove how great they are of an actor. Christ says, we don't want you to be like those hypocrites. And when we see that in the book of Matthew, oftentimes, or even in any of the Gospels, the majority of the times when Christ points out hypocrites, he's usually talking about religious rock stars we call Pharisees or Sadducees. People who are religious by name. People who have set themselves higher than the rest of the people. People who have set themselves apart from the rest of the people because of the clothes they wear, because of their talk, because of the way they walk, because of the religious duties that they perform. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So here's these religious folk who've been following faithfully to the, to the ancient text. They've been following the Torah. They've been following the law. They've been following it. God has set up, set, uh, set up for them to follow. And they, they've taken it and made it their own. They've taken what God decreed and they made it their own. Instead of keeping it God's word, 
They decided, oh, it's good. Let's make it our own word. Let's form it to the way we want to live by so that we can show and prove to other people how great we are. So, so here's the thing. If you're a Pharisee and if you're religious and you want to prove that you're great, you want to prove that you're religious, give like this. Sound your trumpet. If you want to prove that you're religious, pray like this. Stand up in the synagogue. Stand on the street corners. Let your prayers be known. Let other people hear those prayers that you're proclaiming. I mean, you've already seen it. You already see that anybody who's doing that, anybody who, who, who does things like that is somebody who's bragging upon themselves. They're only wanting to receive the glory. They don't want to give glory to the one who it belongs to, to God, but instead they want to receive that praise. They want to receive that glory. You had those moments? I know I have. Those moments where, where something has taken place, something behind the scenes that you did maybe, something, uh, something phenomenal even, something awesome. It's taken place and you had a huge part in it. You had a huge hand in it. And then somebody else begins to get the recognition and the praise. And you stand up and like, wait a minute. Brian didn't do that. Zach didn't do that. Quit, quit giving them praise. They didn't do those things. I, I did that. And you're raising your hand and you're looking around and people are looking at you like you are now. And you're like, are you really that bold? Are you really that proud? Are you really that full of pride that you would, that you would want the praise of people instead of for God to get the glory? See, in the kingdom of God, it belongs to him. And because it belongs to him, he gets the glory for it. In the kingdom of me, I can say the kingdom belongs to me, and so I would get the praise and the glory for it. The problem with the kingdom of me is I can't save myself. When I die, I die. Death, separated from God. But in the kingdom of God, because of his son, I can have everlasting life, no longer separated from him, but in right relationship with him because of Jesus. Not because of what I've done, but solely on what Christ has done. So when you pray, see the, the, uh, the statement here means that as a, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus living in this kingdom, you are going to be praying. And prayer, prayer is this admitting that you cannot do life on your own. It's the asking for help. I need help in this, but I'm afraid to ask. Well, prayer is that admitting, asking for help. Saying, I can't do this on my own. I need to have the help of someone greater than me. Who is it that's going to help me? In the kingdom of God, we pray to God. We pray to the Father. We pray to our Savior. Asking Him for help because we cannot do life. We cannot do things on our own. Well, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. We don't want to be like the hypocrites. We want to be different. Truly, I say to you, the last part of that verse 5, Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. I mean, how small is that? I mean, they're, they're pretending. They've put on a facade. They're faking it. They're trying to prove to people that they're religious. And the way they do that is by how, how they pray at the synagogue or the worship gathering or the church gathering. How they stand on the corners and prove how religious they are by, by their prayers. And Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our God says, that is their reward. How, how small is that? Remember back when I was just saying that Brian and Zach didn't do it? Hey, I did that. And you clap and, man, congratulations, you're, you're awesome. How long will that last for me until I need that again? Well, it lasted a few moments. I don't have to do something else. And you find yourself in this exhausting life trying to prove yourself over and over and getting those small rewards 
for these small, fleeting, temporary moments. See, coming to God in prayer and admitting that He is the one who can actually help you in life and submitting to Him and saying, He is eternal, He is forever. And so because of that, I want to give my life to Him. That's not something that's temporary. That's not something that's just for the moment. That's acknowledging that He is great and He is forever. And so I come to Him in humility, in obedience, submitting to to Him, knowing who I am, knowing who He is, knowing where I am, knowing where He is, acknowledging those things and saying, humbly I come before you. I don't need the reward of man's praise. I don't need the reward to be seen by others. But instead, God, I know who you are. I know how great you are. I know how righteous you are. I know how pure you are. Because of that, God, I only want you and you alone. Verse uh, verse 6 says this, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's those moments where your true character comes into play. See, see, behind closed doors is where your true character is revealed more and more. I mean, in student ministry, I would tell students all the time, like, you're desiring to, to live a life transformed by Jesus, but you're not sure if people are recognizing that. You're not sure if the struggle you had with uh, being respectful to your parents or the struggle you had with watching your language or the struggle you had with uh, viewing things that you shouldn't be viewing or listening things that you shouldn't be listening to. You're not sure if those things are actually happening. You're telling us, you're saying, oh yeah, I'm staying away from all those unholy, unrighteous things. Sure, you're, sure, yeah. Believe me, I'm, I'm well, I'm way away from it. And I would tell students all the time, and I'm telling you as adults and students now, if I want to know the truth about you, I'll go to your family. And I'll ask your family, tell me what they're like behind closed doors. Tell me how they respond in moments of impatience. Tell me how they respond in moments of, of trauma. Tell me how they respond in moments of victory. Who, who's getting the praise and the glory? Now here's the thing, I'm going to go ask your family, please don't ask mine. <laughs> You'll find the truth about me. See, behind closed doors is when our true character is revealed more and more. I mean, we're hoping that our prayer life and the times that we do pray in public, when we're gathered with other people or when we're on stage praying over a sermon or whatever, we're we're hoping that what's happening in private is just an overflow into public. That what we're doing behind closed doors in secret when no one else but God can see us, that in that we're being transformed in the likeness of Christ. And so when we go out into public, that example of Christ is more and more. What happens behind closed doors? That true character is revealed more and more. Christ goes on to say in verse 7, Also, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Who, who does this? Well, he says, the Gentiles do. Like these people who don't belong to any God. These people who are not holy. These people who are full of, of unholiness, full of sin, full of unrighteousness. These people who have not been set, set apart by a righteous God. Don't be like them. 
Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. I mean, you know people like this. They just can't stop talking. They have, like uh, like old brother Rothel says, they have the gift of gab. And they just talk and talk and talk and talk. And like, whoa, whoa, just listen for a second. Just listen for a second. Well, I'm going to prove to you how great I am by how much I can talk. If you don't know the movie Old Brother Wire, there's a great scene where, uh, where John Goodman, his character, I mean, he's got all kinds of great big words. And he's trying to sell God's holy inspired word, the King James Version. He's trying to sell it. He's a Bible salesman. He's got all these, he's heaping up these great words. Yet they're all empty because he's a hypocrite. Because he's saying one thing, but he's acting another. That's your homework for this week. Go watch your brother out there. And then condemn me for watching bad movies. Judge me. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Greek word, babble. Don't just babble on and on and on and on. Babbling. You know who babbles well? Babies. Immature humans. Babble. No one can understand them. They're babbling and babbling and babbling. There's a rule at our house. We don't care what language you speak. It can be English. It can be Spanish. It can be French. It can be Pig Latin. Just pick a language. Let us learn it so we can understand you. But this babbling nonsense, we don't want any more of it. Stop babbling. Speak a language. Heaping up these empty phrases. They're afraid. Uh, 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 Dad, I mean, uh, uh, God, I mean, uh, 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 Abba, we don't even know what to say because our relationship with him has been skewed our relationship with him has not been based upon truth we think he's this far off God who we cannot approach but you can't approach him with sin you can only approach him through Jesus we think he's this far off mean angry guy who's going to swing a bat at us from a a, a log that he cuts off a tree and and hit us as hard as he can so that so that we know hey don't don't get in his presence I mean he's this angry father we don't, we don't have a, a good view of who God is. And Christ is telling us, when you pray, you're not going to be like babies. You're not going to be like Gentiles. You're not going to be like religious fools or religious rock stars. Instead, you're going to be righteous because I am righteous. You're going to be holy because I am holy. You're going to be set apart because I am set apart. You're going to speak truth. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Do do you catch that? You don't have to come to Him babbling. You have to come to Him in reverence and fear and holy respect because of who He is. But Jesus points out, but your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. See, God knows you. I mean, that's the crazy thing about coming to him in secret. He already knows everything about you. It's the crazy thing about coming to him in public. He already knows everything about you. You may prove or try and prove your righteousness to me, and I may be fooled by it, but God is not. You, you may be able to empty, uh, offer up babbling or empty phrases and think that we're going to be fooled by it, and, and maybe we are, but God is not. He's looking for genuineness. He's looking for humility, an understanding of who he is, and an understanding of who you are. Second Chronicles, you, you've heard this before. If, uh, if you're in Sunday school, uh, part of the discussion questions for this week comes from, from this uh, chapter. 
Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to point out two verses for you. Verse 14 says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Verse 15, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. See, approaching God, it's not about volume. It's not about you standing in the synagogue, standing up and projecting your volume as loud as you can, standing on the street corners and letting your prayers known by the volume of them, nor is it by volume, by how many words you say to God, but it's all about your heart. Coming to the Father, understanding who you are, in a state of humility, understanding who you are, and more importantly, understanding who God is. Christ calls Him the Father. He calls Him our Father. Not a Father like, like I've experienced or you've experienced, no matter how great or bad your dad is, but instead this Father who is loving, who knows everything about you, who knows your weaknesses, who knows your strengths because He gave them to you. He knows everything about you. You cannot prove your righteousness to Him because He knew you were too weak and I was too weak. And so He gave us Christ. He gave us grace. He gives us righteousness through His Son. And when we begin to understand that, our prayers become so different. I remember when I was in high school, again, a lot of things happen while you're in high school, huh? My parents asked me to pray for the meal. And I began praying in religious piety. I began proving how great of a religious son that I am. I began praying for the mashed potatoes and the biscuits, and the roast, and that brown gravy, and the carrots, and the onions, and the sweet tea, and that banana pudding. And when I said amen, it was the best prayer ever. And my mom looked at my dad and said, Rex, how great was that prayer? And at that moment, I received my reward. Because that prayer was not about the Creator God. That prayer was not about my forgiving Father. That prayer was not about my sinless Savior who made an ultimate sacrifice for me. That prayer was about me and how great I am. And as I study Scripture, I realize more and more, as you are already so aware of, how great I am not. But praise be to God that is not dependent upon me, my righteousness, or your righteousness. Praise be to God is all dependent upon Jesus. And our prayer life changes when we recognize that. Next week when we gather together, we'll, we'll finish up the model prayer. These six things that Christ points out when He says, Thy will be done. See, prayer is really centered around that. It's, an, it's not about me and my kingdom, God. But I've chosen to confess You as Lord and You as King. So my prayer life even needs to represent that about how great you are and how great I am not. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your truth. My hope is that the things that I miss said or the path that maybe I steered people down that's not according to your will, God, that your will would be done. 
God, that our prayer life would be centered around us turning away from how we think things should be and then us pivoting and turning towards you, God, and your kingdom. That our prayer life, that our walking life, that our word life, that our single life, married life, grandparenting life, great-grandparenting life, working life, every bit of it will be centered around you and your son Jesus. God, help us to see that though the world teaches us often that life is about us, God, help us to see how small that is and that you desire to live for something greater than ourselves. And so you give us Jesus. God, as the evil one tries to tempt us this morning to draw away from you, God, help us to resist and draw ourselves towards you. Help us to respond this morning, Lord, to you, to your kingdom, to your mercy, to your forgiveness, for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Offer time of invitation, basically.